Hello, I'm Martijn Graat and this is Does Logistics Matter, a podcast on trends and innovations in supply chain and logistics. Answering yes to the question today is Elena Robakitze, Business Development Manager at Ahlers. In this episode, we discuss six myths about the Chinese market. We talk about the potential for Western companies and the steps they can take to enter the Chinese market. Please enjoy my conversation with Elena Robakitze. Elena, welcome to the show. Hello, it is my pleasure. Good to have you. The first question of the of this podcast is always, does logistics matter? Um, I think that definitely yes, uh, especially today when we talk about uh, very globalized world uh, where we live in. And yeah, it's definitely very important to have logistics in the right time, in the right place. Good answer. I like it. So, so how did you end up in logistics? Um, I started my journey in doing international business, and that was uh, my interest always. Uh, I'm not uh, very uh, focused on logistics itself, but more in a broadened way, uh, looking at international business, doing the business in, in different markets, mm-hmm. uh, focusing on some challenging markets. And uh, I believe today we are going to, going to talk about China. I have um, quite a long experience of, in doing business in China as well. Uh, so would be glad to, to share what I have. Yeah, great. So how did you end up in China? Uh, pretty simple. It started just with the um, interest about the market itself and uh, the language. Uh, I started to lo- learn the language and then I moved to, to China and um, started my first business there. So you actually speak Chinese? Yes, fluently. So, so, so are you able to say, does logistics matter in Chinese? Um, or am I putting, really putting you on the spot now? No, no, that's fine. Um, we can say that uh, Oh, that is so cool. Okay, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even going to try and repeat that. But uh, that's okay. So nice. So now I, now I know what, what that sounds like in Chinese. Thank you. Um, so you, you already said that um, we're going to talk about uh, doing business in China. And uh, you told me uh, when we had our, our, our pre-podcast talk uh, that you want to uh, talk about uh, the top six myths of doing business in China. And, uh, and you're here today to, uh, to debunk them and, uh, and, and tell everybody uh, what doing business in China is really like. So I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, uh, I, I actually uh, don't know that much about doing business in China yet. Uh, and 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 I and I probably have uh, uh, several of these myths. Uh, uh, you know, I uh, I believe them myself. So so here we go. I'm very much looking forward to it. So uh, the first one, uh, obviously, which is something that well, I would think that uh, you know, language is a, absolutely a problem when you're doing business in China. So that's for me myth number one. Language is a serious problem if you want to do business in China. Yeah, Martin, I agree with you. Definitely when you even just uh, get into the country, uh, of course, you don't understand what people are saying to you. 
And at the same time, you just don't understand the symbols around you and everything and everywhere is in Chinese language. Yeah. And of course, it is a very big barrier. But I think that when we talk about doing business in China, then we are moving absolutely to another aspect um, and another industry where you meet mm-hmm. people that uh, they are not um, for the first time in the business. Uh, and I, I want to remind that uh, China is in WTO for many than 20 years already. Yeah. Uh, I think that it also affects uh, the market and the country itself. So today we talk about uh, population that speak um, uh, English language as well. And most of the people that are in the business, uh, they English speaking people. Um, and it's not, uh, it will not be a big problem for you to do the business itself. But in case if you want to manage local people, understand some local rules and customs. Of course, it will be helpful to understand and speak a little bit of Chinese, but it is not necessary for doing the business there. Okay, so it's definitely a benefit if you do, but if you don't, then it's okay. Absolutely. But you do need, uh, you, but you do need the expertise. So you would, uh, you would need to you, to find somebody who would take care of anything that has to be uh, communicated in Chinese, like uh, managing people. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I think that expertise in doing the business itself, it is a general uh, concept. Uh, but if you want to dive in in, in the little bit of details, then you just can get someone uh, together with you who speaks the language and will translate it to you. Yeah. Okay, nice. Myth number two. Uh, the Chinese market is probably a very underdeveloped market. Yeah, this is the perception that still today many people have in their heads. Um, yeah, but they, they export, they make all the stuff and they ship it to Europe <laughs> and they ship it to America. So they're all about making stuff and shipping it out. So why would they need stuff? They make everything themselves, right? Um, the market itself, from, from, from one point of view, it is uh, sufficient enough uh, to feed themselves. But at the same time, they have a very big potential for uh, foreign products on, on, on their market as well. Um, and I think that if we talk about underdeveloped uh, market perception, we need to understand that today China has a very huge uh, middle class. So it was already yeah. more than 50% of total population in China uh, that uh, break uh, into these uh, numbers. And uh, we expect these numbers to grow. And I think that by 2030, uh, in, by, by many experts that, that they're saying, it will be percentage of 76% of middle class in China. So, of course, it means that they are getting uh, higher salaries. They would like to consume more. They would like to uh, uh, get more stuff on their market and it will be interesting potential for European brands and American brands on the market. Ah, okay, so so uh, so they do have an absolute interest in uh, in European and uh, and American goods uh, and and brands and they and they they actually want to buy them. Yep. Okay. And then is, uh, are there certain categories of products that are uh, that are are more more popular than others? Um I, I cannot uh, say it now for, for sure that what, what are the segments, but uh, what I see uh, in China is that, of course, 
the uh, market of uh, apparel um, and shoes, it mm-hmm. is very competitive market. And already many foreign brands are presented there. But at the same time, we don't, um, we should not forget about new segments such as uh, uh, cosmetics products, which are uh, mainly presented by Japanese brand and Korean brands. But we also ah. um, see opportunities for European companies and American brands there. Um, so quite a little bit specific, uh, but uh, represents quite a big opportunities there. For me, that ties into to myth number three, what you're saying, because you're saying uh, you're giving me the example of uh, of uh, beauty products and you're, you're saying those come from uh, Japan uh, amongst uh, amongst other countries. Uh, those are Asian countries. And so I, I could I can imagine that from a uh, from a cultural perspective, uh, the Asian market and Asian uh, uh, products that are, are, are made in Asia, uh, that they are uh well much more specific to the asian market than than western uh products so so in that sense i guess that uh the cultural differences between uh well are us in the west and uh, uh the culture of china uh yeah th- that that cultural difference probably uh makes them reluctant to buy western products uh yeah indeed they are physically um more closer to China, and of course, it affects this cultural uh, difference as well. And mm-hmm. what we see is that it is much more easier for Asian brands to uh, be presented on Chinese market and to understand how the market works and uh, their specifics. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the uh, tendency that we see in China today is that they would like uh, to see more Western brands on their shelves. Uh, it is about the quality of the products. It is about the history uh, that's representing the, the brand. Um, and they are willing to pay for it. Okay. So so despite the, the cultures in uh, in Korea and Japan being um, yeah, more similar uh, than their own culture, they're, they're still looking for, uh, for, for, for products from, uh, from, from Western regions. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Interesting. So, um, so then you want to take your your business to uh, to China, and then um, language is not a problem. Uh, apparently, the market is not underdeveloped as, at all. Uh, cultural differences are not that big either. Um, then, so coming to the next myth, I would say we you should be starting in uh, Beijing and Shanghai. Then the two biggest cities of China, biggest cities, biggest market. Let's go. That would be a very good solution to start with, of course. Uh, but again, uh, today, if we talk about 2022, uh, we have already quite competitive market in terms of uh, representation of foreign brands as well. And mm-hmm. uh, it is the first thing that comes to, to the minds of the owners of the business, uh, of many of them, uh, to do the business in Shanghai. But uh, I still recommend to not for- to forget about the other uh, big cities in China, and we talk about at least 15 cities with population uh, more than 10 million there. And we talk uh, about it and say that one city represents the market itself. And I think that in today's situation with the very uh, high um, uh, 
representation of foreign brands in Shanghai and Beijing. It is easier to start somewhere in Shenzhen or Guangzhou uh, to start your business there and then uh, gradually to go to uh, big cities as well. Yeah, you're saying 15 cities with a population of more than 10 million. Yeah. That's that's just crazy. If you just look at the smaller countries in Europe, I mean, the Netherlands has 17 million. So that's like that so so if you're if you if you go live in two cities, you 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 already reach more people than if you would launch in in the Netherlands. So that's just uh, the, uh, yeah, that's mind-blowing how big that market is. Um and then so then looking at the products that are being uh, exported to to China and the markets that are popular. You were talking about uh, shoes and you were talking about uh, uh, cosmetics. So there must also be products that are uh, not popular in China. And uh, I know that one of the things that they say is that uh, the Chinese don't like dairy products. Yes, many people still think so that uh, Chinese people do not consume milk products, for example, or cheese. And it's been true for many years in China. Uh, they don't have these uh, habits uh, or diets because it was not traditionally uh, not the product that they consumed, uh, usually in Asia and specifically in China. Uh, but today, uh, the market is also changing in this regards. And... Um, I even know that on the government level, they, uh, from the government level, they educate people that you have to consume uh, dairy products because it is uh, beneficial for your health. Um, and many Chinese people today, they, they look at uh, the dairy market as well. And we see that the numbers are growing uh, for the cheese, for the milk uh, consumption and Today, many brands from Europe, they also consider how I can do the business in, this, in that segment in China. Okay, so for, so looking at uh, looking at food and beverage, the, the, the dairy product is a very promising market because there's still a, a lot to be gained and it's still growing. Yep. Okay. Um, then, so that, so we, that was uh, myth number five. So I guess if it's a top six, that takes us to myth number six. And um, that is online versus offline trade. So myth number six, I would say you can just start by taking your products there and first start offline because that's, uh, yeah, let's say that that's the, the way to go. Offline yeah, only. That's one of the easiest way. Of course, many companies, they have still this traditional vision um, of doing business in China. But if we look at the market, we see that 30% of total sales go through offline sales today. So 70 goes to online uh, segment. Of course, it depends on the industry that you work in, but still... Um, the logo of China today is that if you're not presented online, you're not presented in China. Uh, and it is more than 50% 50, 50 of all retail trades uh, is done today in China through online uh, sales. So I definitely recommend, uh, of course, not to forget about offline uh, sales because this is the way how you can uh, uh, be in touch physically with your uh, final consumers so they can... Uh, 
uh, get acquainted with your product, touch and feel it. Uh, but at the same time, don't forget that most sales, they go through online channels. And on, online uh, segment in China is quite a um, uh, challenging one. But if you get the right partner and uh, get the right understanding of the market and how it works, I think that it should you, uh, should work out. I think you 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 told me this in a in a conversation we had uh, a, a few weeks ago. So internet penetration in in China is huge, if I understand correctly. At, yeah. At, 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 at what percentage? Uh, don't remember exact now, but it is closer to ninety percent. Wow, and it's and it's all mobile i, I mean I've, I've seen this in uh well i don't remember what show i was watching but uh but it was that, that, that people they they live on their phone and it's all in uh what's it called wechat right it is WeChat. And, and it is everything is in with whatever they do so this is that's something that that took me a while to yeah to wrap my mind uh, around that that you would have one single app that that does everything uh, yes, you can use just only WeChat for uh, paying for the goods, ordering the taxi, uh, paying some services fee, uh, just within one one app. Yeah. Okay. So that's one of the reasons that uh, that it's so important to be online because the, the well, uh, the the Chinese live online almost. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Elena, thank you for debunking the sixth biggest myths about doing business in China. Maybe for the listeners, uh, it would be nice to hear uh, some important truths about doing business in China. So what are for, for, what would you say are the most important truths? The most important truth um, or the takeaways that I recommend first is to start uh, with experience uh, of China. Uh, of course, it's a little bit difficult to talk uh, about it today, but I would definitely recommend to go to China and to see uh, the all innovations within the cities, infrastructure, how it works and how people live there. Then you can feel this um, speed uh, of uh, Chinese people and Chinese business. Then uh, do not to forget before your trip um, to install uh, the WeChat app. Um, <laughs> yeah the famous one which you can use for everything in China. Uh, and it, it is true that Chinese people, they do business mainly within the WeChat as well. So they send messages, they discuss the business, they do uh, joint calls uh, via WeChat as well. So you can forget about emailing there, uh, but uh, messaging on WeChat app. Um, and of course, it will be easier to do the business uh, with local partners, and it's uh, very crucial to find uh, the right and reliable partner for you. Yeah. So, and when you're when you're saying partner, what are the things that such a partner uh, could do for you? I think definitely it is about uh, requirements, uh, local requirements of uh, in terms of the taxation, legal, financing questions. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, if we talk about uh, logistics and uh, transportation of the goods, and then yeah. uh, you'll have questions, uh, how can I get my goods into China? Uh, what are the requirements from uh, customs perspective? Uh, do I need to get license in advance, certification? How can I uh, translate everything into Chinese language and to be sure that everything is uh, correct? 
um, and in in accordance with the local requirements. So this is uh, are the things that your partner can can support you with and help you with. Elena, how does Alers fit into this? Uh, this is exactly that uh, we provide uh, in China and in other markets, challenging markets as well. So we start uh, with the looking uh, on the business case that company has and uh, their purposes on uh, on the market, where they want to be, uh, what is their strategy, how they want to develop the market. And then we help them to understand what should be done uh, in the entire process on uh, every step how you pick up the goods, deliver them to uh, China's market. Uh, we help them with all of those small details about uh, that I mentioned uh, about uh, certification, documentation, and mm-hmm. all other stuff is customs. And then the question goes, how can I sell the goods uh, in China if I have customers there, but I don't have company, legal entity presented there. So we help them uh, by our legal entity um, to support their entire business locally in China. So if I hear you correctly, uh, and I want to do business in China, um, first you're saying get over there and, and get a feel for uh, uh, for what it looks like and what it feels. And uh, you were talking about uh, the speed with which the Chinese operate. And, and, and by the way you said it, I think you mean high speed. Everything goes Everything goes fast. Yes. Um, so I need to do that. I definitely need WeChat uh, and I need a good partner. And uh, and if I understand you correctly, uh, I, for the main part, have to worry about marketing and sales. Indeed. This is the only thing that you will be focusing on, your commercial strategy uh, on this market, marketing and the way how you uh, deal with your customers and uh, your team, sales team in China. Elena, uh, perfect. Thank you for debunking the six biggest myths uh, about doing business in China. Uh, thank you again uh, for uh, saying, does logistics matter in Chinese? That was uh, <laughs> one of the favorite parts of the podcast for me. And uh, it was, uh, I thank you. I learned a lot. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Martin. Thank you for listening to Does Logistics Matter? For more on trends and innovations in supply chain and logistics, visit our blog at www.logisticsmatter.com. This podcast was produced by Dimitri Vleugel. The music is based on a sample by Ruggerman and produced by Michael Spengler. This episode was sponsored by Alers. For more than 110 years, Alers has been helping clients all over the world. Active in three regions, Europe, CIS and Asia, they provide state-of-the-art logistics and tailor-made solutions. Their services focus on supply chain solutions, warehousing, project and machinery logistics, secure transportation of high-value and or theft-sensitive goods, trade facilitation and after-sales services, and supply chain data analytics. Alles finds the best solutions that fit the customer profile perfectly. They enable customers to stay focused on their core business and manage innovative supply chain solutions which add value. They solve supply chain challenges in complex environments. Find out more at www.ahlers.com. That's A-H-L-E-R-S.